following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. What we're doing this morning is starting a shorter series, just a two-week series called Thy Will Be Done. And this is going to be fun. I've taken that line from the Lord's Prayer in order to focus us on the subject of God's will. What is God's will? How does God's will work? How do I know God's will for my life? That's the question everyone wants to know, isn't it? Uh, How does this thing called God's will operate in the world around us? And that is a question that sits behind so many of the questions that we have as Christians about what's going on in the world and what's going on in our lives and how God relates to all of this. I was in a conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago with a bunch of people. This was just a few days after the Paris attacks. And the conversation quickly turned to ISIS and to global terrorism and radical Islamic extremism and these things. And everyone was offering their thoughts and perspectives on what's going on around the world. And one guy, after sharing his thoughts on what's happening globally, he just finished by saying that he finds himself asking these days, God, what are you doing? God, what are you, what are you doing in the world? What's, what's your plan? What are you up to? And it's an interesting question. and It got me thinking about what, what is God's will and how does all of this work? Is all of this, is, is what we're seeing globally at the moment with the rise of ISIS, global terrorism, all the, all the geopolitics that are going on, is all of this somehow part of a master plan? Uh, is this all, are these all like pieces in a puzzle that all fit together somehow and we don't quite see the puzzle, we don't quite know how it fits together, but is this all kind of held together within a big plan? How do you know what is God's will and what is not God's will? How do, how do you, can you figure that out? Is there a division of categories like that? So some things are God's will and some things aren't God's will. And then you bring this down to the level of our lives and it gets even more personal. So this question of God's will sits underneath every time you ask, why has something bad happened in your life? Why does my child have cancer? Why has my business failed? Why has my husband walked out on me? Why do I have this long-term health issue? Why? What we're asking when we ask that question is, what is God's will? We're asking a question, there's an assumption underneath all of that, that God somehow has a will and somehow it relates to my life, but I'm not quite sure how. What is God's will for my life? How does, how does He relate to my life? And then when you're at major crossroads in your life and you're facing these big decisions about what to do and where to go, we're also asking questions about God's will. Should I take this job or not? Should I change careers? Should we move to that town Should I marry this person? Should we buy that house? Should we start trying to have kids? All these questions, underneath it all, if you're a Christian, is that same subject, God's will. What does God want for me? How do I figure that out? How do I discern this? Should I even worry about it? How does God intersect all of these realities in our world and in our lives? It's all about God's will. So there is no possible way that we can deal with all of that in the next two weeks, but we're going to deal with a bit of it. What I want to do is this morning, uh, just give you a broad framework for thinking about God's will and how God's will works in the world. Kind of a broad uh, theological framework. And then next week, 
we'll dive more into practical stuff around what, how do we make decisions in view of that? How do we make wise decisions? How do we align our lives then with the will of God as we move forward? So that sound all right? That's how we're going to tackle it. Okay, so where we're going to start then is in Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, pull it out. And uh, a couple of verses here I want to start with. I've called this first message in the series, The Three Wills of God. And, and really, all I want to do this morning, I say all, it's pretty ambitious actually, is, to, uh, is just to walk through with you three dimensions of God's will. Three different dimensions of how God's will works in the world. Try and just create a bit of a picture of that and then draw out a couple of practical implications for our lives. So the first of these dimensions of God's will, the first will of God, if you like, is what Paul articulates here in Ephesians 1 in verse 9. He says this, He, that's God, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, when Paul, back up in verse 9, when Paul says that he's made known to us the mystery of his will, when you hear the word mystery, it means something different from what we think it means. We think of mystery being something really uncertain, unknown, it's, it's elusive, it's foggy, we can't quite see it. But that's not how Paul uses the word. He uses the word a number of times in his letters, and it never means that. When Paul talks about the mystery, the mystery of God's will or the mystery of the gospel, he's always talking about something that has been concealed but has now been revealed. Okay, it's really important. That's why he says God has revealed to us the mystery of his will. It's no, in other words, it's no longer a mystery. It used to be a mystery. Through the Old Testament time before Jesus, God's will was a mystery because for all of the gifts that God gave the prophets, they could never quite see what God had in store. They could never quite see where the story was going. They could never quite see what God had planned for Israel. But now, says Paul, God has revealed his will because he has revealed who? Jesus. If you want the shortest answer to the question of what is God's will, it's Jesus. I know that doesn't answer the question of should you take this job or marry that person, but this is, where, this is the starting point. Okay, rather than asking the question, what is God's will for my life? How about we start with what is God's will for his own life? That's much more important. God's got a will. God's got a life. And his life is, the, is, is central, much more central than our life. God's will is Jesus. God's will is to bring all things to unity under the feet of Christ. That's how Paul finishes this paragraph there in verse 10. So that's where God's will is heading. Ultimately, the destination of human history is that God in his sovereignty is going to bring everything in all creation under the feet of Jesus, so to speak. Everything into submission to Christ. Everything, every square inch of the cosmos, everything brought under the loving rule of Jesus. That's God's will. And he, is, he has set things in place to get us there. Okay, this, this dimension of God's will is what theologians call God's decreed will. It is what God has decreed. It is what God has laid down. It is fixed. It is unchanging. It is unstoppable. It is immutable. It is God's will. There's nothing you or I can do about that. And God's will is ultimately to bring everything into unity 
under the feet of Jesus. And so God's will involves those things that he has laid down in order to get to that destination, especially those things that center around Jesus. God's decreed will is the overall unfolding of the biblical story. It's the nation of Israel in preparation for the Messiah. God's decreed will is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Those things were set down, laid down before God created anything. He has decreed that those things would happen. That's why when you get to Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 2, and Peter, the apostle Peter, is giving his sermon, he talks about how when Jesus was, was crucified, he was handed over by the predetermined plan of God. This was all part of God's decreed will. This was always what God had decided would happen, that Christ would be sent, that Christ would die, that Christ would be raised again. So at one level, in the death of Jesus, you've got Pilate acting under his own steam, you've got Herod acting under his own steam, you've got the Jewish authorities acting under their own steam, but Paul is saying, and Peter is saying, no, no, at a broader level, this is the decreed will of God. There's nothing that really could have changed that. God has this under control. God's moving the chess pieces around in order to get events to where he wanted them to get to. The death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus was always going to happen. And then ultimately God's decreed will is that Christ will come again, there will be a judgment, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and that is the final destination. God's will is going to be whatever it takes to get to that final destination. It's fixed. Nothing that any of us can do to change that. And thank goodness, that's the decreed will of God. That's the sovereign will of God. Now, let me give you an illustration of this that might help. Uh, I'm stealing this illustration from a theologian called A.W. Tozer. I'm going to draw on him a little bit in this message. He talks about this idea of God's sovereignty or God's decreed will a bit like an ocean liner. Okay, so picture a massive ocean liner, picture a cruise ship. Uh, let's say it's heading from Sydney to Auckland, and the course of this ocean liner is fixed its destination is determined, its schedule will not be changed. Okay. Now, I know you can say, what about unforeseen events, and what if it hits an iceberg, and it's pretty unlikely, isn't it, in the Tasman Sea? But you, know, you could say, well, what about this? But the reality is, this is just an analogy to help us think about the sovereign will of God. There is this ocean liner of God's sovereignty moving steadily over the waters of human history, and the port is everything being brought to unity under Christ. That's ultimately where God's going to take this ship. And he will do it in his good time, according to his good purposes. Only the Father knows the day and the time when that's going to happen. But it is going to happen. So this is the big will of God. At the broadest level, God's decreed will is his sovereignty over history, moving things forward to that day when the ship finally reaches port and everything is under the rule of Christ. That's God's decreed will. Now, there is a second dimension to God's will, and Tozer uses this same illustration of the ocean liner to illustrate this double meaning. So he says, on one hand, you've got this cruise ship heading towards port. This is God's decreed will. But then, think about what's happening on board the ocean liner. You've got hundreds of passengers all doing exactly what they want to do. They can lounge around on the top deck. They can stay in their rooms. They can go to a restaurant. They can watch a show. They've got tremendous freedom on board the cruise ship. And so he's saying, 
And I think it's a good way of putting it. This is how the will of God works. You've got God's overall sovereign decreed will where things are set in motion heading towards everything in unity under Christ. But then you have what theologians call God's permissive will, which is that we as human beings have a degree of freedom within this great ocean liner of God's sovereignty. We have a certain amount of freedom a certain amount of free will. We don't have absolute free will. Nobody has absolute free will. If anybody says to you, I've got absolute free will, you just ask them to walk through the nearest wall. It cannot be done. You ask them to disappear, reappear in another place. You ask them to break the basic laws of physics or biology. We can't do these things. We don't have absolute unlimited freedom. What we have is a degree of freedom to make choices. And this is what God has sovereignly given to us. He didn't have to. We didn't deserve it. And in theory, he could revoke it at any second. But God in his mercy has sovereignly decreed to give us freedom. So what God has done in the beginning is he has set up a world, he set up a cosmos, and he's built into the physical world laws of cause and effect. So God has set up an earth that has tectonic plates and those tectonic plates shift and they cause earthquakes. Does that mean we say God caused the earthquake? No. Did God allow the earthquake? Yes. Because it falls within his permissive will. God's permissive will are all those things that God allows to happen but does not directly cause. Now, he's still ultimately sovereign over all things. He's still set up the world in this way, but he is not the direct and immediate cause of every single minute thing that happens because God has invested his creation with a degree of autonomy. And he's done this with human beings as well. So he's built into our humanity the laws of choice and consequence, that we can make choices and then we have to live with the consequence. And we do this all the time. We're doing this every day, aren't we? Choices as to whether you brush your teeth or not. And then you've got to live with the consequences. Could be some hefty dental bills. Right through to the biggest choice you'll ever make about what you do with Jesus. God has sovereignly allowed you the freedom of making that choice and then living with the eternal consequences of that choice. So God has given us relative freedom. Someone put this as God has given us as human beings the dignity of causality. We can cause things to happen. We can make things happen. We can use our freedom to affect things in the world, affect our lives, affect the lives of other people. But all of this is still held somehow within the great big sovereign will of God. We're all moving around on the ocean liner. We're all using our free will, but God is still guiding the ship towards the port. And nothing you do with your free will is going to change that. We cannot exert the kind of free will that's going to thwart the overall plan of God. God just simply doesn't allow that to happen. But we've got relative freedom. And this freedom does not take away anything from the sovereignty of God. That's really important. Sometimes people want to play these things off against each other as if, well, if human beings have freedom, then God cannot be sovereign. Or if God is completely sovereign, then human beings could not have freedom. But in fact, Tozer argues exactly the opposite. There's a great little paragraph he's got on this. Uh, Let me read this to you. He says, here is my view. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. 
when he chooses to do evil. He does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it. And as much as the eternal decree, that's God's eternal decree, God decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. So Tozer is saying that our, fr our freedom doesn't undermine God's sovereignty. It reinforces it. The fact that we're free is, a, is an expression of the fact God is able to give us that freedom as a gift and still maintain his sovereignty. He's not scared by allowing us a bit of freedom. It doesn't worry him. It doesn't intimidate him because he has a sovereign hand on human history and he's still guiding the ship towards port. The other question this raises is why God gives us freedom at all. And you have to wonder this in view of events going on, in view of the rise of ISIS, in view of the Paris attacks, you find yourself wondering, why does God give human beings this kind of freedom? Why, does, why doesn't God curtail our freedom so that these things couldn't happen, at least limit our freedom a little bit so we couldn't inflict such harm on one another? And this comes back to the purpose for which human beings are created in the first place. Why did God create human beings? For relationship with himself so that we could experience genuine relationship with God, mutual love, God's love for us, and able to return genuine love to God. Now, if God had created us, just robotically programmed us to relate to Him perfectly, if He'd robotically programmed us to obey Him perfectly, to serve Him perfectly, to follow Him perfectly, to orientate our lives perfectly around Him, would we be truly able to love God, that's the question. And I would say no, because for there to be true love, in order for real love to exist, there has to be the freedom not to love. In order for love to, if love is coerced, then by definition, it is not love. If love is somehow manufactured in some way, it's not love, it's something else. So God knew this. He loves us out of his freedom. He's completely free. But God wanted us to be able to return that same kind of love to him, to be able to return a love that was free, that was unhindered, that was able not to love and yet chooses to love him. And that meant that God set us up with a degree of freedom that enabled us to do that. And it did mean, of course, that every one of us would use that freedom to do wrong. Every one of us uses our free will to make decisions that are not loving towards God, not loving towards others. But as God created the world in his wisdom, in his providence, ultimately, he was willing to create that kind of world in order to allow the possibility of human beings having a genuine, reciprocal, mutual, loving relationship with himself. And that kind of relationship requires freedom. That kind of genuine love requires freedom. That is why God has established us with enough free will to be able to return to God the love that he desires us to give him. Unhindered love. So, just to wrap all this up so far, so we're all tracking here, we've got God's decreed will. We've got the big ocean liner of God's sovereignty, the big cruise ship moving towards port. That's the overall decreed will of God. Nothing can change it. Then, We've got God's permissive will, what God allows to happen but does not cause. 
Everything that happens is allowed by God. Everything that happens is at least contained within the permissive will of God. But God still gives us freedom within this. He allows our will to experience freedom. But there is a third kind of God's will. There is a third dimension to God's will that takes us a little bit closer to thinking about decisions for our own lives. And I'm calling this God's beneficial will. God's beneficial will for our life. You have God's decreed will, God's permissive will, God's beneficial will. Because here's the question. As God looks at this ocean liner on which we're all just going about our business and doing our thing, it's, it's tempting perhaps to think that God doesn't care about what we do on board the ocean liner. That God just basically says, you can do whatever you like. If you want to just laze around by the pool all day, that's fine. I'll let you know when the ship gets to port. You know, God could do that, but he doesn't do that. He has desires for our lives. He has intentions for us while we're on board the ocean liner. He's not indifferent to how we spend our time on board this ship. He has a will for us, and this is God's beneficial will. Now, I took that phrase from 1 Corinthians 10. You don't need to turn there, but let me just read this verse to you, where Paul says this. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So, in other words, we have freedom to make whatever choices we want to make simply by virtue of being human, but that does not mean every choice we make is beneficial in God's eyes. We can do things that are of greater benefit spiritually. We can do things that are of lesser benefit spiritually. The, great, the, the decision that we could make of greatest benefit to our lives ultimately is to hand our lives over to God. That is which is most beneficial to our lives. That is of the greatest spiritual benefit to us. And then as Christians, Paul is saying, the way in which we are to direct our freedom, the way in which we're to use our free will, is to seek not only our own good, but the good of others. To place others above ourselves, to look out to the interests of others. That is how we are to live. That is how we are to orientate our lives. That's the beneficial will of God. So you could extend this little cruise ship analogy one slightly tenuous step further and say that when we become Christians... We stop being passengers on this cruise ship and we start being crew. So that's how God designed us to work. That we're no longer simply uh, free to do whatever we want to. In a sense, we are with human free will, but what God's desire for us is to participate in what He is doing on board this ship and particularly to participate in caring for the other passengers, to seeking the welfare of others, not just ourselves. Ultimately, to encourage other passengers to enlist as crew on board the ship, if you could take it to that extent. But we are to use our freedom for the good of others, for the good of others on this big ocean liner that we find ourselves on. This is God's beneficial will for our lives. And so that, I think, should be perhaps the primary filter that we use when we're making decisions is, am I living into the beneficial will of God? Am I making a decision here that is going to enable me to draw closer to God or at least not prevent me from drawing away from Him, prevent me from doing that? Am I seeking the good of others, not just myself? Am I living in a selfless way? Am I seeking to prioritize people around me here and not just my own interests? Because those are questions that take us into God's, what is God's beneficial will for our lives? That is where God calls us to live. 
God has a decreed will. We're all, in a sense, living within that because he's, he's moving this ocean liner forward. God has a permissive will. We're all living within that because God has given us freedom to make choices. But what God calls us to do, more specifically, is find that sweet spot within his beneficial will. And that is contained within God's word. That's why we look to scripture for guidance. That's why we look to scripture to get a sense of how God would have us live our lives, the priorities, the values that we are to have. This is the beneficial will of God for our lives. And we find that, we discover that in scripture and we live towards that. We live within the beneficial will. If you are doing that, if you're honestly trusting and obeying God as best you can and looking at scripture and seeking to follow him with all your heart, you are in the will of God. You don't need to worry about that. You are within the will of God. See, this is one of the things that God's will should do in our life is free us from a bit of anxiety about exactly what we should or shouldn't do because we can get so hung up on waiting for God to tell us something. Anna and I have a friend who, when she was a young adult, she was married, uh, engaged rather to a guy, lovely Christian guy. They were engaged and she ended up calling it off because God had not given her a clear sign that this was the guy he wanted her to marry. And she was waiting for some writing in the sky, some clear and unmistakable sign that this was to be her future husband. And she didn't get it. So she called the engagement off. Now she's gone on and married another guy. He's a great guy. They've got a lovely family. But that is, that is still a sad time in her life. It was an agonizing time in her life because she was waiting for something that never happened. And this way of thinking, it's, you know, it's the theory that there is only, God's only got one possible person for you to marry. Have you heard that, that, that logic that there's one person out there, God's got a soulmate for you, he's got one individual picked out for you, and you, your mission is to find that person, and you better get it right. Because if you don't, I mean, you think about the logic of this, if you don't get it right, then you've messed up God's will for your life, and God's will for the person you were supposed to marry, and for the person you did marry, and for the person they were supposed to marry, and then, of course, the people that you didn't marry, what about the people they go on to marry? God's will stuffed up for their lives too. So you have now single-handedly altered the course of human history and messed up the will of God forever. So it's just ridiculous to think that that would ever happen. God's not going to allow that to happen. God gives us freedom. God allows us to make choices. Now that's still contained within his beneficial will. In fact, marriage is a good example of this. Marriage, like everything else, exists within God's permissive will god gives you've got freedom human free will to marry who you want to marry but it is also an area where god applies his beneficial will he tells us in scripture there are ways of going about marriage that are beneficial for us one of those things is that christians are called to marry someone who share their faith you can read that in first corinthians and second corinthians so that's the beneficial will of god but still, within that, God doesn't say it's this specific person. He says, here's a parameter, here's a, here's a guideline for your well-being. But within that, take your pick. Within that, love the one you marry, you know, and marry the one you love. Within that, get on with it. Within that, make a choice. You know, we, are, we have freedom. We have choices. We have latitude within the broad and spacious will of God. So just don't be paralyzed with anxiety about these kinds of things is what I'm trying to say. We can get so stuck. Now, there is a time for waiting on God. 
and discerning carefully and being prayerful, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that more next week, a process for making wise and godly decisions. Because God does lead us and he does prompt us and he does guide us. But he still gives us freedom. And he does not want us to be paralyzed by anxiety, expecting a band of angels to descend from the heavens and give us an unmistakable sign of exactly what to do in any given situation. God does not micromanage your life to that degree. He simply doesn't. He gives you freedom. And he asks us to use that freedom wisely within his beneficial will. The other thing that this should do for us, I think, understanding God's will, is that it should free us from the need to find an explanation for every bad thing that happens. When I talk to people who are going through difficulties in their lives, one of the refrains that I hear most often is people say, I know there must be a reason for this. You know, expressing their struggle, and then something along the lines of, but I know God's got a reason for this. I know God's got a plan. I know he's got a reason for this. I know he's got a reason for what I'm going through. And then, honestly, there's a little part of me that wants to pop out and go, no, he doesn't. <laughs> In all likelihood, no, he doesn't. The reason is, there is a reason, and the reason is Genesis 3. We live in a stuffed up, broken, fundamentally screwed up and fallen world in which terrible, terrible stuff happens. Ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, this world is completely off kilter and the evil one still exercises a huge degree of sway. That's the reality. Terrible things happen. You can make a great choice and it can lead to terrible consequences, unforeseen things. And you do your best to honor God and glorify Him in your life. And you make this particular decision and it works out shockingly. That can happen. Is it because you didn't hear from God? No. It's because this world is broken. It's because even good choices can lead to bad places. That's the reality of life in this world. But as long as we are just chasing our tail, looking for the why, 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 what's the reason, what's the reason? We're gonna, either we're going to start inventing stuff and concocting reasons that just aren't there. Or we're going to give suffering more dignity than it actually should have in our lives by assuming that it's part of some grand plan where, in fact, it's an aberration of God's plan. And most importantly, we're going to miss the more important question, which is, what is God doing in this situation? Not why, not assuming he brought it about for some great reason, but Scripture certainly still tells us God works in all things for the good of those who love him. So please don't hear me saying that difficulties and hardships in your life have no value or meaning. They do. God brings meaning out of them, but that doesn't mean he brought them along for a particular reason. But still, Scripture is clear. When you go through trials, these can increase our faith. They can increase our perseverance. They can mold our character. They can produce hope. They can produce maturity and fruit in our life if we submit to God in the midst of them. God will work in what you are going through for his glory. But don't chase your tail trying to figure out the reason why it's all happening. That will distract you from asking God, what are you teaching me in this? What do you want to bring out of it? Not why did you bring it along, but what do you want to bring out of this now, God? What are you working? What, what, what might you want to show me about yourself through all of this? What might you want to show me about me? Bring, bring me face to face with some things in my life. What ways might God be working in what you're going through for his glory? He will redeem these things for his glory and somehow bring light out of them, somehow bring good out of them. He will do that 
but that doesn't mean there's always a reason for the things that we go through. And I think that that assumption can be a real distraction. So overall, what I want us to get a sense of is that God's will is huge, that God's will brings freedom, and that God is still in control. Even though we look around us and we see a world that seems to be becoming more unsafe and more unstable and more uncertain, as Christians, we should be able to rest and relax within the great big will of God, shouldn't we? We should be able to rest because we know that even though it feels like things are spinning out of control and there's so much chaos in the world and there's chaos in our lives, we've still got to just remember that God has a steady hand on the tiller and he is guiding this ship forward. And one day he's going to bring this ship to port. One day he will bring all things into unity under Christ. It's not there yet. You only need to look, look around. Things are clearly not all under unity, under the loving reign of Jesus yet. Things are scattered and fragmented and there's a lot of opposition to God's will and reign. But one day God will bring this about through Christ. And so we can relax in the knowledge that even when we see ISIS rising, we see global terrorism, we see extremism, we see events in our lives that confuse us and overwhelm us, we still know God is sovereign. God is in control. He is still in heaven. He is still on his throne in heaven. He is still the king over all. He is still working out his perfect plan on planet earth. But within that will, he graciously gives us the gift of freedom. And he calls us to use our freedom not to do evil, not to do harm to one another, but for good, for our good, for the good of the kingdom, for the good of the gospel, and for the sake of others. So may we rest, really learn to rest, in the big decreed will of God. And may we give him thanks for his permissive will because he didn't have to give us that kind of freedom. May we give God thanks that he has loved us enough to give us this kind of freedom in our lives. And may we seek each day to orientate our lives, orientate our decision-making so that we live in that zone of God's beneficial will. Everything is permissive, but not everything is beneficial. May we seek out those things that are truly of benefit to our lives and to the lives of others for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we want to acknowledge that we just get so tangled up in our lives and in decisions we've got to make and in the turbulence of everything that we just forget to look up and remember that you are a sovereign God that you are in control of all things, that you are working things out. And even though sometimes it seems like the opposite, it seems like things are, are in chaos, but God, we're, we're just reminded, we're reminded by your word that you are a sovereign Lord, that you are still guiding things forward. And we thank you, God, that at the center of your will is Jesus. We thank you that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth that Jesus wasn't just your impulsive response to what was going on in the world, but you had this all mapped out. You had this all planned out. You see the end from the beginning. You, your ways are so much higher than our ways, God. We want to live in that space and in that reality of just appreciating and resting in your sovereign will. And God, we also want to thank you for the freedom you've given us, and we want to accept it as a gift, and we want to be responsible 
with our freedom. And we want to seek that which is beneficial in our lives. We want to seek what is of benefit in our relationships. We want to seek that which is beneficial in the way we use our money, in the way we make decisions, God. We pray that you would, Lord, it's not always clear and we just don't know and we don't have the wisdom that we really want to have, but help us, God, to live toward those things that are truly beneficial. And as we seek to do that, God, with humble hearts, with sincere hearts, we do pray that you'd lead us and we do pray that you'd guide us, but free us from anxiety and frustration and wondering and worry and just help us, Lord, to relax and to rest in your overall, overall providence in our lives and in our world. We thank you and we thank you for Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.